You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Uh, Today's um, uh, sermon is going to be coming from uh, Psalms 23. So I'll go ahead and read that now. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we do come to you with that that specific request. That in the preaching of your word, may our hearts burn within us as we hear the truth. Lord, we look for you to do your work, the work that only you can do, of encouraging, of stabilizing, of inspiring, of correcting, of saving. Lord, we ask all of that would be happening during these moments as we open your word. How grateful we are. Lord, teach us what it means that you are our shepherd. Amen. I was thinking this week about uh, some childhood memories I had of the, the neighborhood gang uh, that I grew up in. It was just, there was a number of kids in the neighborhood, and we loved to get together. Uh, and weather permitting, uh, we loved to just play all kinds of sport, sports, sports. Uh, we like we would we would go through a season where we'd play football all the time, and then we'd go through a season where we'd play basketball, and then we'd do softball, and we 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 would even do like team bike racing. And here's the thing I remember, and and some of these memories are are <laughs> could be a little awkward or painful, but uh, there was there was always that time when you were dividing up for teams, and what would usually happen is you would, two people would be appointed captains, and then they would alternate picking people from the, the group to be on their team. And what you didn't want to be was the last person picked, right? Because that usually meant um, that you were either the weakest, or you were the least athletic, or you were the youngest, or worse than any of that, you weren't very good at whatever game was being played, and so they chose you last. They would always choose uh, the strongest and fastest first. I always felt bad for those people. I felt bad when I was one of those people. But isn't that really how the world operates? I mean, in business, they don't go after the low person, they go after the top person, right? In a business, when they hire, they go after the top recruits. They want to employ those who are the most qualified. They want to employ those who are the most competent, the most experienced. They want the strongest candidate. 
Isn't that true? I mean, it's that way in the, in, the, in the military. The Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, the Green Berets, when they select members, they go after the smartest, the toughest, the strongest, the most determined that they can find. That's who they want. I mean, this is just how it operates everywhere, except for one person who does not operate that way. The Lord God does not operate like that. When he was choosing his team, when he was choosing his people, he didn't go after the strongest or the biggest nation. He didn't go after the nation with the largest army or the greatest economy or the highest level of education. No, he chose a small tribe of insignificant people from the backside of the desert to be his people. Deuteronomy 7 tells us this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. God set his love and favor on a people specifically because they were nothing and had nothing. They had no land of their own. He did this to display his power and glory through them and through them to be a blessing to all nations. It was exactly this weak and small and unpowerful people that God entered into a covenant with. He established an agreement with them. A binding relationship to them. And I find it very interesting that one of the primary themes of all Scripture that describes the relationship of this great and holy God to his weak and small people was that of a shepherd to sheep. That shepherd-sheep theme best describes the true nature of that relationship. By calling his people sheep, it depicts for us how lowly and weak and unimpressive and in need of protection and even stubborn God's people can be. By calling himself a shepherd, it reveals how loving and kind and compassionate the Lord is to his people, his flock, his sheep. I mean, certainly the Lord reveals other things about himself and his relationship to his people. He is Lord, he is king, he is creator, but he repeatedly reveals himself as shepherd. Martin Luther said this, The other names sound somewhat too gloriously and majestically and bring, as it were, an awe and fear with them when we hear them uttered. This is the case when Scripture calls God our Lord, our King, Creator. This, however, is not the case with the sweet word shepherd. It brings to the godly, when they read it or hear it, as it were, a confidence, a consolation, or security, like the word Father. Scripture, again and again, shows us God as a shepherd to his people. It goes way back to to Genesis and 
when Israel is blessing Joseph in Genesis 48, we read, and, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, he is the one that, that is blessing Joseph. Psalms picks up the same theme of the Lord God, and it actually ties the Lord God as a shepherd to the exodus from Egypt, Psalm 77. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseed. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, he struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Jared read earlier from Ezekiel 34, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. There are many other references we could point to where God identifies himself as the shepherd to his people, the sheep. God is a shepherd choosing the weakest, the neediest to love them, to protect them, to provide for them, to care for them. And certainly, this all sets the stage for the greatest earthly shepherd to come, who is Jesus our Lord and Savior. And he would come to call his sheep to himself. And ultimately and graciously, he would lay down his life for his sheep. And so, as it's already been mentioned, this Advent season, when we open our hearts to the joyful anticipation of Christ's birth, we are going to focus on the Lord as our great shepherd. We're going to be joining with those first shepherds that were called to worship him on that holy night. So as we move through this, whether the Lord God in the Old Testament or the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, ultimately we're talking about the same shepherd, okay? Hebrews 13 says this in, the, in the, this great benediction, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. In this Advent series, we will see that we are weak, and needy, and stubborn, and in need of our great shepherd's leadership, and in need of his provision, and in need of his protection. And we will celebrate that. We will celebrate that he has come to be just all those things for us. And we're going to do this going through Psalm 23. All that leads up to where we're going to be focused in God's word these next four, four Sundays. Psalm 23. Just a little background about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 was written by David, who was a former shepherd himself. And it wonderfully describes in just six simple verses. In six simple verses, this psalm describes the life of a lamb in the care of his shepherd. 
That's what he's describing for us. It's describing for us the kind of care a shepherd is providing for his sheep, specifically for a lamb. And depending on how you divide the scriptures and these verses, um, there is embedded in these six, six verses, give or take, 12 separate blessings that the great shepherd brings to us. Okay? And so as we head into this Advent series, we pray that we will all learn how richly, how constantly, how passionately, how carefully, how persistently, and how wisely our great shepherd tends to those who are his sheep. This morning, we are looking at just the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's three aspects of our great shepherd that I want us to see this morning. Three aspects of this, our great shepherd. Number one, the Lord God, or the Lord, is no ordinary shepherd. The Lord is no ordinary shepherd. That first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. So first thing we notice in this is the one who is our shepherd. It is the Lord. The word translated Lord here is one of the most holy and reverential names for God in all of Scripture. It is the word Yahweh. It is the name Yahweh. I mean, sometimes you might hear the name Jehovah used here. Basically, Jehovah was a Latinized version of this that was developed around the 1300s, basically through a series of misunderstandings. So it's probably best that we use Yahweh and not, not Jehovah. But this name, Yahweh, is the name of God, and it points to two abiding qualities about God, about His existence. It first points to the fact that God is self-existent, I am that I am, and second, the name Yahweh is also the name for the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And both of those things come to bear as we understand what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. And I want you to just think for a few moments with me about these two qualities, God's self-existence and God's covenant-keeping character. Okay? It is, it is difficult, at least it is for me, it is difficult to get our heads around this, around this simple truth, that God is self-existent. That means there was never a time when God was not. There will never be a time when God is not. He does not have a beginning, and there will be no end. This means that the only reason something exists in this universe instead of nothing is because God made it so. He is the source of all things. Nothing is the source of Him. Therefore, there is nothing lacking in God. There is nothing needed by God. And there is no one greater. There is nothing bigger. There is no one who, that is wiser, smarter, more intelligent. He answers to no one. He keeps counsel with no one. He creates by the power of His will. He speaks and things happen. He is not bound by time or space or history. Matter of fact, he exists outside those dimensions. Matter of fact, he created those dimensions. 
There are no outside limitations to God's mind, to his power, or to his character. He is the source of all that is pure, true, noble, holy, good, and beautiful. In him, justice is kept, and by his very existence, righteousness exists. And he has defined by his very nature and by his activity all that we know that is true about love and joy and kindness and mercy and hope. God is self-existent. And it is the Lord God, this self-existing, infinitely powerful being, who we cannot even look at him face to face because of his glory. It is this infinitely existing God who then describes himself as a shepherd of people. The Lord is my shepherd. Five words forming one of the most remarkable truths in all scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. That the Lord is our shepherd. It changes everything. Everything has to adjust to that reality. Everything has to scoot over. Everything has to bow to that reality that the Lord is our shepherd. Everything after that in our lives has to move in relationship to Yahweh, the shepherd. Everything in our life must filter through that grid of God's care For us as our shepherd. There is nothing that comes to us. That doesn't come through that grid. That the Lord. Is our shepherd. There has never been. A shepherd like the Lord God. He's not an ordinary man. Shepherding. This is the self-existent. All powerful. All knowing God. Who is our shepherd. If we don't have that clear we're going to miss a lot of else that's coming. All the other stuff becomes sketchy. And what is truly amazing, this self-existing great shepherd has made an agreement with us that we would be his people and he would be our shepherd, he would be our God. And so what we understand from this is that all that God is will be brought into his care for us, his sheep. And what God possesses, his resources, are pretty significant, aren't they? I mean, think through this. God, our shepherd, God is all wise, so he knows what is best for his people. He knows what is best for his flock. God is all wise. God, who is our shepherd, is loving and kind to his flock. And he wants what is best for them. He not only knows what is best, but he wants what is best, right? But God is also infinitely powerful. So it's not just that he knows what is best and wants what is best. He can provide what is best for his sheep. That is an unbeatable combination. And when our heart aligns to that truth, it comes with such joy and such rest.
Until we align ourselves with the self-existing God who said, I will be a shepherd to my people, then we struggle and we wrestle and we become weary of soul. See, this secures us the very best of care and provision for, from our God. Don't we forget this so easily? I do. You know why it's easy to forget this? Because the life we live is filled with all kinds of challenges. It's filled with struggles. It's filled with adversity. It's filled with this world basically is set up to make you fail in faith. Not to succeed in trusting God, but to fail in trusting God. That's how it's all set up. You see, it's so easy sometimes for us to mentally assent to God's greatness and His promise to tend His sheep, but then quickly act as if God is absent and inattentive as a shepherd. When that's the farthest thing from the case. We don't have an ordinary man as our shepherd. We have the Lord God with all the powers and qualities that he brings to his shepherding. The Lord has never, for even a moment, abandoned his post or turned his back on you as his sheep. He is always on job. He is always tending to us with his great wisdom, with his great compassion, and with his great power. So think about what's going on in your life. The difficulties, the struggles, the adversity that's happening right now. And, and maybe this is just a good thing to remind yourself, just to confess, the Lord is my shepherd over that. You're struggling with health issues. Just confess, but the Lord is my shepherd. You're wondering how you're going to make it through Christmas and all the things and responsibilities that go with Christmas. The Lord is my shepherd. You're struggling under the, the weight of, of children that are not walking with the Lord or they're rebellious or you're having issues like that with your children. Just, the Lord is my shepherd. You're struggling because the, the boss is just putting unfair weight on you. He's just pressuring you and, or just doing something that's making your, your workplace unpleasant. Just confessing, but the Lord is my shepherd. I don't know where money's going to come to meet the, 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 the car bill that's, that's coming. I don't know how I'm going to pay the medical expenses. The Lord is my shepherd. That's where we go. I can only imagine how much joy and comfort this truth must have brought to David. As he's thinking about it, his life, if you know his life at all, it was filled with all kinds of problems and difficulties. And yet here he is confessing that the Lord is his shepherd. When we confess that the Lord is our shepherd over the situations and difficulties we face, we too open our hearts to the joy and comfort of our great shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Second aspect of our great shepherd. The Lord is a deeply personal shepherd. He's a deeply personal shepherd. The possessive here is emphatic. 
The Lord is not just a good generic shepherd out there like he might be. No, he is my shepherd. He is your shepherd. He is our shepherd. We belong to him. He has us. We are his. And this means something vital for us as we consider what it is that a shepherd does. The relationship of the shepherd to the, to the sheep, not just to the flock, but to each individual sheep. I've always found it fascinating. He didn't, God didn't identify himself as a rancher. A rancher is someone who has thousands of head of cattle. They're well big. It's just a big, big herd. A shepherd is very different. A shepherd knows each individual sheep. He understands about tending sheep, that he is keenly aware of each sheep that is in his care. See, a shepherd would know the tendencies for each of his sheep. He would know the struggles for each sheep. He would know the weaknesses of each sheep. He would know the the strengths of each sheep. They would know, a shepherd would know the ones that were stubborn. The shepherd would know the ones that were always wandering off and needed extra attention. See, a shepherd is on intimate terms with the sheep in this kind of way. And so the Lord God knows his sheep in the same way. The Lord God knows us even so much more. I think again that our great and good shepherd Jesus, he calls us by name, John 10. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Do you know that your name has crossed the lips of our Savior? Your name has been mentioned by Jesus, if you're one of his sheep. Your name, who you are, is in his heart. He knows all his sheep. You're not lost in a crowd of the great flock of God's people. He knows you. He knows your temperament. He knows your personality. He knows your struggles. He knows your strengths. He knows your past. He knows what's coming in your future. He knows your sins. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your frustration. He hears your cries in the night. He joins with your laughter in the day. He knows how to carry you. How to help you. How to provide for you. Because he knows you. He carries you on his heart. He has committed himself to be your shepherd. Can you receive that? And be grateful for that. As a shepherd, he he not only personally knows his sheep. He loves his sheep. He loves us with a deep and true and strong love that cannot be undone by any force in existence, including sin. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11 says. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is just such an intimate, personal depiction here of Jesus as our, se- our God as our shepherd. Jesus as our good and great shepherd. 
a tender, caring, patient, loving shepherd. This is who God is. This is what He is like towards us, His sheep. To that fact, He not only knows us personally, we also know that a shepherd does some other vital things for the sheep because the sheep, they just can't take care of themselves. They need help. And so a shepherd, to this day even, in the fields, uh, here's, here's some of the other things that a shepherd would do. The shepherd would lead the sheep, making sure they're going to green pastures, making sure they're finding the water so that they can feed because the shepherd feeds the sheep in that way. He protects the sheep because the sheep are vulnerable to all kinds of prey. I mean, to all kinds of, 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 of animals that would attack. He goes after those who, who wander away from the fold. He goes and retrieves. And what he's ultimately trying to do is he's trying to make sure that they are in a place where they can be healthy and they can multiply and they can thrive. That's what, that's what a good shepherd does. And that's what our shepherd is doing. Now each of these things, he leads the sheep, feeds the sheep, protects the, the sheep, retrieves the wandering sheep, uh, making a place where they can, they can thrive and be healthy. All that's going to be what we unpack in the next verses. So I'm not going to go into all those things now. But know this morning that our great shepherd actively is leading us. He's actively feeding us. He's actually actively protecting us. And when we wander off, he goes after us. Bringing us into places where we can thrive spiritually. And this brings us to the third aspect of our great shepherd. The Lord supplies all we need as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And listen, I shall not want. Because it is the Lord that is our shepherd, that's why we will not want. You see, actually everything, you know, the, the second part of the verse, I shall not want, is completely dependent upon the first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Actually, the whole rest of the psalm is dependent upon that first phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he's going to describe for us the kind of care that the Lord God gives to his people. And the first thing that comes out of that is, I shall not want. Basically, we should understand this to mean that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack for nothing. The meaning is that God will supply me with everything I need in order to love him, to serve him, to follow him, and to obey him. That there's everything we need in him in order to thrive spiritually in our lives. I like this understanding of the phrase, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, what more do I need? One commentator said this of this verse, it seems the message here is that if you don't do something, if you don't have something, no matter how much you crave it, you don't really need it. And if you needed it, God would provide it. David Gibson says this, This is a profoundly God-centered view of life, the universe, and everything in it. 
This psalm is a tool in God's hand that he uses to recalibrate our desires. It is an oasis in our materialistic wasteland. It invites us to stop and rest a while and consider afresh who God is for us in the simple plentitude of his being and in the endless riches of his covenant love. David, it seems, knew in advance what the Apostle Paul would later describe as the ability to live having nothing yet possessing everything. See, the psalmist is saying, the Lord God, the self-existing ruler of all things, has committed himself to you as your shepherd. And he intimately knows you and loves you and is always working for your good. The Lord God is your shepherd. He will take care of his sheep. He knows what you need before you ask it. That's what Jesus taught us. It is not wrong to go to the Lord with our, with our physical needs, with our, with our financial needs. Matter of fact, that's part of what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray. God, give us this day our daily bread. We are to turn to the Lord for everything that we need in our life, but we are to be content and satisfied with the provision of the Lord. That the Lord is our shepherd addresses our concerns for the things we need. He knows what we need. And because ultimately... What this verse is saying is that no matter where we are, no matter what we have or what we don't have, the Lord provides us with what we need to continue to love Him, to be faithful to Him, to obey Him, to worship Him, and to continue in His kingdom work. So as we turn our attention and our affections toward the coming celebration of Christ's birth, Let's not forget the great shepherd of our souls. That he came to seek and to save his lost sheep. He then came that he might give his life as a ransom for those sheep. He did this to provide us forgiveness for our sin. He did this to justify us before God. He did this so we could be adopted into his family. He did this so He might fill us with His Spirit. He did this so He might grant us eternal life. What a great shepherd caring for His sheep. Listen to what John 10 says again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pastors. Listen. If you do not know Christ, if you do not understand that who Jesus is and why he came and why he died, hear this. If you will come to the Father through him, he is the door. If you will come through him, you will be saved. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Communion focuses us on all that Christ did for us as our great and good shepherd.
in communion, our souls feed on Christ our Savior who is the bread of life. Our lives are cleansed by His blood that was shed for us. And our hearts are strengthened by His grace. Pray with me. Father, we are humbled as we understand who you are, great and mighty. We are humbled that then you would condescend to be our shepherd. Lord, we are so grateful for your love, for your care. We are so grateful for your, how you tend us as your sheep, how you personally know us. And Father, as we come in this moment, recognizing again Christ's death in our place and for our sin, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for Jesus, the great and good shepherd. Thank you that he took on himself our humanity that he might also take on himself our sin. To die in our place as a sin atoning sacrifice. That the judgment of the law would be placed upon him and not us. Father, we are so very grateful. As we come to take communion, Lord, feed us on Christ that we may go, grow rich in grace. If you would stand with me, please, and take your communion cup. If you need to grab one, you're welcome to come down and, and get one. Jesus, on that night, he was betrayed. He was gathered with his, his disciples. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Broken for you, given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. That you were made fully like us. Taking on our humanity that you might take on our sin by suffering and dying. Because you died. We have life. Thank you. The body of Christ.
Jesus then took the cup and he said in this cup is the new covenant in my blood you know what we deal with is if, if we if we kind of step back a little bit it's kind of a gory thing that's what sin is it's gory and we see through that the life of Christ that in his blood there is the remission. There's the taking away of sin. And in his blood is a new covenant. It's an unbreakable covenant. Listen, it's an unconditional covenant. We can't break it by what we do. It's completely based on what Christ did. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious, precious blood. Pour it out for us. It washes us clean and it establishes this new, unbreakable, unconditional covenant in your blood. Thank you.